Welcome to the Technology Lab, presented by CPA Practice Advisor, with your hosts, Randy Johnston and Brian Tankersley. I'm Randy Johnston, along with Brian Tankersley. Brian, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Brian Tankersley. I've been in the profession since the early 90s, have been doing accounting technology since the late 90s on a professional basis. I've written a few hundred product reviews and I've spoken in 48 states talking about accounting technology to CPAs. And I am from Hutchinson, Kansas. I am so pleased to spend time with you today. I have been on the top 100 list since 2004, the top 25 list since 2011. I love to spend time in technology and with my family as well. I'm fortunate enough to have founded Network Management Group, which is a managed service provider providing services from Boston to Honolulu. And my K2 business is how I met Brian, and it is how we've probably met many of you producing CPE and PD in the U.S. and Canada. We're so pleased to spend time with you on today's Technology Lab. Well, welcome to today's Technology Lab. We've been talking about generative AI in other labs, and we really think that we needed to spend some time on large language models. And large language models are what are behind the generative AI capabilities of ChatGPT, the OpenAI product, as well as many others in the market. So Dr. Bob Spencer, good friend of ours, and many of you know Dr. Bob, sent me a, a paper written by Samuel R. Bowman called Eight Things to Know About Large Language Models, a beautifully done 16-page technical paper with seven pages of it in references. I mean, it was pretty stunning. And, you know, as academics, Dr. Bob and I like to dig into this type of stuff. But, you know, what we'd like to do is try to give you insights about these large language models. And, of course, there's lots of attention on this right now from advocates of artificial intelligence there's concerns about this from policymakers globally in the European Union, and Italy obviously has shut off a lot of these tools, as well as what's happening here in the United States. And scholars and technologists are all speaking to this right now. So I think with that idea, we'd like to talk about these different attributes. So the first attribute of the eight is that large language models predictably get more capable with increasing investment, even without targeted innovation. Now, that's kind of an interesting point, Brian, because it really starts to talk about scaling law and, you know, uh, how we go around that. But it turns out the amount of computation used to train these is pretty amazing. And it's all about the amount of data that's fed, what their size is. Now, friends, we have talked about other AI tools in prior technology lab. For example, Vic AI, which was an artificial intelligence model for recognizing accounts payable invoices. They had a 200 gigabyte database blob that they processed from. And they also maintain parameters specific to companies. So they had this language model that they built for recognizing invoices. So, you know, this idea that we can have a model that's fed a lot of data is actually pretty stunning. 
So, Brian, I know one of the things that is true with the OpenAI code base is that its next word prediction capability is pretty interesting. And we are seeing a little bit of this in the Microsoft deployments, a little bit in the Google deployments too. But you might have noticed in both Word and in Outlook, there's a type ahead uh, word prediction. And it turns out that GPT-4 and OpenAI's prediction of the correct word is pretty stunning the bigger the model gets. Yeah, and and I will say that I've noted that the predict ahead has gotten better in both of those engines in the last six months. I don't know if it's ingesting all of my emails or, you know, to build that out, which is kind of a weird and kind of a scary privacy thing. It's really been remarkable. You know, if you think about how useful Siri and text dictation was 10 years ago versus today, there's no comparison. I mean, 10 years ago, you'd be lucky to get one word out of five, right? Today, probably four words out of five, eight words out of five, depending on how well you're enunciating and how good the microphone is and the background noise. It's pretty amazing, these things that they are able to do. Yeah. And you know, your point there, I do not know this in fact, but I have seen indications in some of the reading that I'm doing that Microsoft 365 accounts are actually keeping track of things by user. So you are right that there is a bit of a privacy head scratcher. You know, what's going on there? But if you, when you go look at Copilot, you can't do the things it does in Copilot without having this encyclopedic knowledge of all the content that you have, including your OneNote notebooks and your emails and your all your other stuff. Yeah, exactly, Brian. And in fact, you know that I have lots of idioms. You know, my mom's full Australian and this year she'll be a hundred years old. I I enjoy any time I get to spend with her. But because of that, you hear me say things like, you know, bloody and put it in the boot. By the way, boot is the trunk on a car, if you don't know that. And every once in a while, I just say those Australian words and, you know, it actually gets my Australian words right too. So, you know, pound and a half, that type of thing. So. I, I will have to say that hanging out with you for 15 years as I have has really helped me when I go to Canada because they use many of the same idioms. And it's really helped my spelling on words like center, which, you know, C-E-N-T-R-E and other things like that. Yeah. But these large language models increase their capabilities. Now, just for the record, friends, remember that OpenAI Chat GPT runs in Microsoft Azure as their backend engine. So there's a whole bunch of data that's getting into the Microsoft Azure OpenAI engine. So that's number one. Number two is that many important large language model behaviors emerge unpredictably as a byproduct of increasing investment. Now, this one's kind of an interesting attribute. Now, whether it's good or bad, because in another technology lab, we talked about hallucination and what happens with some of these models. But what happens is there are behaviors that just kind of surface. And scaling laws can only predict a model's pre-training test loss. Now, what you may not remember about a lot of these models is they are trained with certain words and so forth. And 
what you can't really predict is what happens with these models as they learn more things. Now, one of the things that's true in generative AI models today is they're generally text-based. They're not so good at arithmetic-type things, mathematics. But what is notable is that the larger the model gets, the better the models get at doing mathematics. And it is notable spikes as we get to the 10 to the 22nd order of magnitude in terms of things inside the models. Then this happens with arithmetic. It helps a little bit with words. Unfortunately, the truthiness doesn't improve notably, but there's lots of different interesting observations about what happens with the behaviors. But the main thing here to understand is large language models start doing things that nobody knew they could do because they've ingested so much information. And, you know, once in a while, Brian, you and I both surprise each other, but I always throw things over the wall when we're talking about a concept because you will always come up with a new framework. For example, like data wrangling this year or digital plumbing, which we've talked about in other you know, technology labs. And my thinking here is that, you know, you have a large language model that you're processing in there. And every once in a while, poof, something just kind of spits out. And it's like, well, where'd that come from? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to see these things. You know, I, I was actually in this paper you're talking about, I was actually quite interested in, in the training and how without any access to visual information, these models created models of unicorns, which didn't look like anything like a unicorn. It was really amazing how they just, you know, they, they got better, but they never got to something that you and I would look at and clearly say, that's a unicorn. Just never quite got there. Even though that what they can do is amazing, especially given the amount of time it takes for them to generate their content, I think that they can they can create things faster than humans ever possibly could. But it may be of questionable quality. It may have, you know, there's just the, these models are not complete by any stretch of the imagination. So I think humans are going to have to interpret them and clean them up and do things to them to make them usable going forward. Um, I, think only, I think only fools would, would use the stuff that comes out of AI without at least reading it in detail and doing a little bit of checking on it. Yeah. And so, you know, there's been some very interesting brain science that's been published this year as well, Brian, because it talks about the way that our brains retrieve information. And it seems to me, as I've looked at the new brain science and I've looked at the new artificial intelligence large language models, there's clearly some signs of early overlap starting to appear. So the third major point here is that large language models often appear to learn and use representations of the outside world, as you were just citing, and they use internal representation of color words that appear to align with our human color perception, that they make inferences about what the author of a document knows or believes. That's kind of interesting in terms of a way of hallucinating. And they take properties of objects and use them. And they will often can be trained to play board games and things like that. But they also can distinguish common misconceptions from true facts. So I'd like to actually see more of that occur. 
Well, the fourth major attribute of these large language models is there's no reliable techniques for steering the behavior of these language models. Now, that's kind of interesting because in this case, you'd think that we could actually control this. And in, you know, our truthiness technology lab, we talked about these biased results and we talked about the Toronto Declaration and other things that are driving the results here and how they seem to have biases in the models. But as it turns out, the large language models, well, we've talked about this in uh, prior K2 courses where we talked about supervised and unsupervised machine learning and reinforcement learning and so forth. But it turns out that reinforcement learning, where one incrementally weakens or strengthens certain model behaviors according to preferences, don't produce useful systems in these large language models. So if you think about this as curbs or rails to stay on, it's actually hard to get the rails right. And, uh, you know, that's where the Wired Magazine article on difficulty of trying to keep these algorithms from hallucinating became a pretty big deal, too. So any comments in this particular zone on steering the behavior of these models? Well, I, I think the classic example is one that I think I mentioned in a previous one where Google's Bard responded when asked whether or not Google was a monopoly and should be broken up. Uh, it responded in the affirmative. And I'm sure Google was, Google really, really, really would like to steer that away from that. But the fact that that, that it did that, I think really demonstrates there's a lot of strange things afoot here with these things that we don't understand and we don't understand how to fix them necessarily. So, you know, I think it may be like some of the things we've seen in the past that work till they don't work. And then when they don't work, we may not know how to fix it. Yeah. Well, it's kind of along the line of the brain science that I was talking about. The fifth point of the author was that experts are not yet able to interpret the inner workings of large language models. And he cites that modern large language models are built on artificial neural networks. And the brain science I was talking about was also the neural networks. And it does point out in the article that there are hundreds of billions of connections between these artificial neurons, some of which are invoked many times during the processing of a single piece of text. And, you know, our brain is kind of that same way. The way we retrieve different pieces of information and where it's stored in the brain is kind of distributed. And when we retrieve it, we're actually retrieving that stored information from lots of different sources. Now, Brian, I know you know that I have really enjoyed, you know, Matthew Walker's book about the value of sleep and, you know, why we sleep is the title of that book. And he also talks about how our brains prune themselves and repair themselves during sleep and why eight hours of sleep is so important. So a lot of this brain science, I'm just over the top interested in, but these artificial neural networks, you and I first started talking about together, I think as far back as eight or nine years ago, because I've been aware of them for decades as part of the computer science background. But part of the next point from the author is that human performance, number six, human performance on a task isn't an upper bound on large language model performance. 
So when large language models are trained primarily to imitate a human writing behavior, they can actually outperform humans on many tasks. And this is for two reasons. First, the large language model is trained to see far more data than any human can see, giving them a lot more information to memorize and potentially synthesize along the way. And then number two, they're often given additional training using reinforcement learning. So there are things that are going on in these models. You know, as I think about the companies and the programmers trying to drive all this stuff, in many cases, they don't even understand the behavior of the models that they've created. And that's really the point of this technology lab is we're trying to help you synthesize what's going on with generative AI because the computer scientists and programmers behind these, they're kind of learning as they're going and their results at time are a little unpredictable might be another way to think about it. Other items that you might add here in this section, Brian? I think generally here that this is a new area. I just to kind of wrap things up, I think it's I think it really is evolving very quickly. We don't know exactly how things are going to come out in this area, but I think it's like most things with AI that are happening right now. I think things are changing very rapidly, and I, I think you need to keep your eyes on it and watch what's going on because the, I think when things, when things reach the tipping point, I think they will switch very rapidly. Well, and you know, back in 2016, when, you know, AlphaGo was being played by DeepMind and winning, you know, that was a big deal. And there's a beautiful video documentary on that, which we've recommended in the past. But point number seven was that large language models need not express the values of their creators or the values encoded in web text. So, you know, this is trying to eliminate some of the, the biases, if you will. And number eight is that brief interactions with large language models are often misleading. This could also be, uh, you know, a little bit of the hallucinations that's going on. But there is a whole area that we'll continue to teach you about in the technology labs called prompt engineering. And, uh, you know, I spent some time before recording this session today showing Brian how I've been using prompt engineering with ChatGPT and some of the results that we've been able to get there, for example, creating tables or slides or so forth. So I wanted to spend this time on a, a little bit more of a contemplative session with you because I think we don't understand everything that we think we know about generative AI and these large language models today. There's open debates over whether we describe large language models as understanding language and whether their actions are, you know, know or try. And similarly, there's questions of consciousness, sentience, by the way, that's where artificial intelligence takes on its own living personality. We figure we're 10 years or more away from that, but it's been a goal of artificial intelligence for a long time uh, to get to that level. So there's lots of other items, but finally, the value judgments in these large language models are not really a topic here, but really, if you go back to our session on truthiness, we probably covered a bit more of it there. So, Brian, that kind of a heady contemplation session, 
that we wanted to do with our listeners today, but any parting thoughts on these large language models? You know, I, I think there's just a lot that we don't understand about these, and I think there's a lot that we're not going to understand. So I would say keep your eyes on it and proceed with caution. But proceed. Don't, don't ignore it. Yeah, so knowing that that's the case, friends, again, we want you to play with these tools, but be cognizant. And if you have not listened to our other sessions on the Technology Lab about artificial intelligence, we'd encourage you to listen to the ChatGPT, the Microsoft Artificial Intelligence, the Truthiness Hallucination, all of the competitors, Dally and the competitors along the way too, because we think the five different sessions that we give you have given you will give you an awful good sense of what's going on with artificial intelligence. Now, as the year proceeds, don't be surprised if Brian and I don't come back to you with very specific, here's a way to use generative AI tools for the practice of accounting. Until another time, we look forward to speaking with you. Thanks. Thank you for sharing your time with us. We'll be back next week with a new edition of the Technology Lab, brought to you by CPA Practice Advisor.